Open up uh, your pew Bible. It is page 858. I'm going to read verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Before we dive into this text, let's, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you have done on Calvary, being the mercy tree. God, we pray that as we open up your word, we pray that the Spirit would come in and convict us of sin, would uh, teach us and would instruct us in every single thing that you want us to learn and to know. In your name we pray. Amen. When I first hear of the word mercy, several things come to my mind. Some probably closer tied to scripture than others. So here are some things I was thinking of initially when I heard, when I hear the word mercy. The first thing is I think of my grandparents answering a phone call when I was a kid. Uh, I don't know if it was somebody who got in a car accident or uh, somebody passed away and they said, oh Lord, Lord have mercy on them. Or some bad thing kept happening to somebody like, uh, for example, my son, he falls down all the time and runs into walls because he's three, and that's just kind of what he does, so he keeps running into stuff and, you know, hurting himself. We're like, man, Lord, have mercy on this child. Are you serious? Look at his legs. They're, like, all beaten and battered and bruised, right? Uh, another thing I think of is my older cousin, who was five years older than me and was much stronger than me back in the day. Uh, we would wrestle, and when he's got you pinned down, what do you yell every single time? Mercy! And what does they do? Lord willing, he would release me right? Uh, the other thing I think of is things like mercy ministries, like our abundant life ministry here at church, which they do an excellent job at. I think of, uh, you know, homeless shelters. I think of those style ministries that are mercy ministries. But we use the word mercy a lot of times, often like as a buzzword, okay, in our Christianese language, right? We use the word gospel, grace, salvation, Mercy. We use these kind of buzzwords where we say it a lot, but do we really know what it actually means? I love doing that to people when they'll they'll say, man, just the gospel. What is the gospel? Tell me, what is it? I do this to the students all the time. They're like, yeah, the gospel. What is it? Just tell me what the gospel is. It's easy to use one word. It's a little more difficult to expand it in a paragraph. So this morning, I hope that we expand the word mercy for you to see the great horizon that Scripture has given us. So on the the back of your bulletins is kind of our outline of where we're going today. Uh, Point number three might scare you because Pastor Sean doesn't do this frequently, uh, but there's some subsets here, and we'll kind of get there here in a little bit. But number one, mercy is active compassion. And this is going to be huge as we kind of gauge ourselves down the line. So the dictionary says, compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or to harm. Just like my cousin. Pinning me down, he has all the power in that moment that he could punish me bad or he could harm me really bad. But if he is merciful, he will release me and not harm me. Mercifulness is an attitude of of compassion and care grounded in the nature of God himself, made manifest in the life and ministry of Jesus and expected of believers. I love this because we're going to trace some things that Jesus has done and said, including some parables here in a little. I also I love what Richard Zinsky says. He says, the noun, Elias, mercy, always deals with what we see of pain, misery, and distress, where grace 
always deals with the sin and guilt itself. One, with the one extends relief and the other pardons. So the relief would be mercy and the pardon would be grace. The one cures, helps, and heals mercy and the other cleanses and reinstates. Okay, so here's a silly example of what I think of when I think of the difference between justice, mercy, and grace. Okay, so you go out here, you get on the highway, you're going down 275 towards the airport. Okay, there's nobody on the road, you're going 99 miles an hour. Cop shoots you on your radar, whoo, he's getting you. He comes over, he pulls you over. Okay, he comes up to your window, says, sir, do you know how fast you were going? Yes, sir, I know, I was going 99 miles an hour, I'm sorry, you know. He says, yes, sir, you were. You were going 99 miles an hour, speed limit 65. That's 34 miles per hour over the speed limit. I'm going to write you a ticket for this. Here's your 30. Uh, it costs you probably three grand, knowing how much it is nowadays. So here you go. Justice was served, right? You're going 34 miles an hour over. He writes you a ticket for 34 miles an hour over, gives you the ticket. You pay the fine. You go to the court date or whatever. There you go. Justice. Justice was served, Okay. Then you got mercy, same exact situation. He pulls you over, do you know how fast you're going? Yeah, I was going 99, I'm sorry. Yes, you are going 99 miles an hour. It's 34 miles per hour over. Today, I'm not going to give you a ticket. Okay? Be safe. Don't do this again. You can go. It's mercy. He had the opportunity to punish or harm, right? But he didn't. He showed you mercy and didn't give you a ticket. And then you have grace, the same situation, 99 miles an hour. He asks you, yes, sir, I was going 99 miles an hour. I'm sorry. He says, you know what? Today, I'm not going to give you a ticket. But you know what? Here's a $100 gift card to Best Buy. Here's $50 at Chick-fil-A. And hold on, I'm going to write you a certificate that says you are one of the top five best drivers in northern Kentucky. Here you go. That would be grace, okay? Because he didn't just show you mercy he also lavished stuff with you he reinstated you as you know a top driver in the area okay which they would never do that uh, but if they did that would be really awesome um so in our christian life to summarize the difference it's mercy is god not punishing us for our sins as we deserve and grace is god blessing us despite the fact that we do not deserve it Mercy is deliverance from judgment, and grace is extending kindness to the unworthy. Psalm 51.1 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. The psalmist here, if we look at it, this is not a passive thing. The psalmist isn't asking the Lord to do something passive. He's saying, Lord, you are abundant in mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Blot out my sins. You can't blot out sins passively. Jesus on the cross didn't blot your sins out passively. It was an active thing. He showed mercy to us on the cross. So Jesus is telling us to be merciful because then you will receive mercy. So how do we come to the point of having mercy or receiving mercy to show to other people? Number two, mercy has been shown to you in salvation. If you are a born-again believer, you have been shown an enormous amount of mercy. If we look, we're just going to take a quick look at our human state, who we are naturally, and then it'll help us see 
the greatness of the mercy that God has shown us in our, in our salvation. Romans 5, 12 and 19. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. By one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Psalm 143, 2. Enter not into judgment with your servant. No one living is righteous among you. Or Isaiah 53, 6. All of us, like sheep, we've all gone astray. Every one of you and me has turned to his own way. 1 John 1, 8 and 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. Just from those quick verses, we can learn from ourselves and who we are as individuals, as people, as, cre- as God's creation. We are naturally wicked, sinful people. I know it's hard for us to think of that, especially the person sitting next to you. You know for a fact your spouse is not a wicked sinner. I know that. Okay? You may, it, it, it just sounds bad, but it's true. It's what Scripture tells us. We see that the wages of sin is death. Therefore, all of us, since all of us have sinned, we all deserve death. And we deserve life apart from God. But God, the beautiful words in Scripture, but God. So we were all dead in our sins and trespasses. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. But God, looking at Titus 3, verse 5, says he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the spirit hebrews 8 12 for i will be merciful toward their iniquities and i will remember their sins no more are we seeing the active in here everything's active i will do this i will show mercy he saved us according to his abundant mercy for i will be merciful toward their iniquities 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, which we actually read earlier uh, through the Lord's providence, we read is our offertory scripture. It says, but you, Christian, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Okay, all that is good. Okay, that's for Christians. But look next. It says, once you were not a people, all of you, at one time, if you're, not in, if you're in Christ, you were once not in Christ. You were once not a people, but now you are a people. Why? Well, because once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's two totally different camps here. If you are in Christ, you have been shown the mercy of God. The trend is that we're seeing is that God showed you mercy in salvation. He has shown compassion to you when you were in misery in your sin, when you were so stuck in your sin that you couldn't get out, and that I was so stuck in my sin I couldn't get out. He showed us mercy, and he lavished it on us. He could have absolutely punished me and had me never receive mercy from him, but instead he chose to show us mercy. Well, why are people not merciful? The one who is not merciful is so inevitably unaware of his state. He's so inevitably unaware of his state that he doesn't even think he needs mercy. He cannot picture himself as miserable. He cannot picture himself as in distress, as his heart is in distress. He cannot picture that. So if he can't even see that he would need mercy, 
how's God going to show him mercy? How's God going to show this individual mercy if he doesn't think he has anything to show mercy or to need mercy? He's just like the Pharisee in the temple who is unmerciful toward the wretched tax collector in the corner. Uh, Luke 18 says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing praying like this about himself. So here's how the Pharisee was praying. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, like all these other people. I'm not like all these people. I'm not greedy, unrighteous. I'm not adulterer or even like this tax collector right here. I am not that bad. Hey, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything I get. That's what the Pharisee said. But the tax collector standing far off, he would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you this, I tell you this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So if we look, the Pharisee is so unaware of who he is. He's unaware of his heart condition, of that he is, he, just like the tax collector, is still a broken, wretched sinner. He's so, un, he's just so unaware, it's unbelievable. Which are you in this story? Are you the Pharisee who, who thinks you're doing all the things right and you're, and you're dotting your I's and you're crossing your T's? But you're just like, look at me, look at me, look what I'm doing, look, I'm doing this good, I'm doing this good. Are you seeing this? Is everyone else seeing this? I'm not like all these other people. Look at me. I go to church all the time, twice a week I serve. I'm working VBS. Are you kidding me? Look at me. Are you unaware of your daily need for God's mercy? Are you all consumed in the good that you're doing that you forgot to how you even got to this point? Or are you the person who recognizes why you're here today? That you're here today because God has chosen you, he has called you out of your sin into his marvelous grace and into his beautiful mercy that he has shown you? By contrast, I'm going to tie this with all the previous Beatitudes that we have seen. By contrast, the person whose experience reflects these Beatitudes is conscious of his spiritual bankruptcy. Spiritual bankruptcy is tied back into verse 3, poor in spirit. He grieves over it. He grieves over his sin. Verse 4, mourning. He has no pride or arrogance about his state because he knows he is a sinner in need of mercy. That would be verse 5, the meek. And he hungers and thirsts for righteousness. The person who is merciful toward the wretched is so. If you are merciful toward sinners, it is because you recognize where you once were. You once stood right there. And without God's continual mercy and grace, you still are right there. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its light or make space too narrow than diminish the great mercy of God. I mean, just think about that. How big and great is our God to think that his mercy is so great that 
you no longer can drain the sea of its water. I can't even drain the bathtub quick. Or make space too narrow. Something that scientists still haven't even figured out. How big and massive space is. Rather than you can diminish the great mercy of God. That just shows us that God was active in showing us mercy. He was active in showing us compassion when we were stuck in our sins. When we could not go anywhere else, he lavished on us his great salvation while he was on Calvary. We recognize our weekly state and our need for God's mercy. Number three, steps to showing mercy. These are Good Samaritan observations. We're going to read the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and then we're going to um, see some things in the text related to mercy and kind of what it looks like, how to do it, etc. So reading, Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Jesus answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you'll live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, saw a man pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan... On his journey came to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Hey, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a good neighbor? who fell into the hands of robbers. The man said, the one who showed mercy to him. Then Jesus said, go and do the same. Now, you've probably heard this parable a dozen times, which is good. But I want to make a couple of key observations that we, you may have not seen before, or you may have, and that's good, and let's just kind of refresh our minds. So this is a famous parable that Jesus taught. And on the outset, we see uh, the, the man asked, hey, what must I do to have eternal life? I want eternal life. What do I have to do? It's a great question. Jesus gave him a solid answer. But the guy pushed for more detail. He said, hey, who is my neighbor? You want me to do this, love my neighbor? What is that? Who is my neighbor? I live in the middle of nowhere. Okay, who is my neighbor? But I think the better question would have been, hey, Jesus, how can I love my neighbor? Instead of saying, who's my neighbor? Say, hey, Jesus, tell me, how can I love my neighbor well? How can I do that? But that's not, it's easy in hindsight, but that's not what he did. So Jesus responds with this parable. The priest and the Levite show that they were unwilling, these are religious people, they were unwilling to love their neighbor, where the Samaritan, it would be so unthinkable. I don't even really have a good illustration. It would just be so unthinkable for a Samaritan man to help 
this other man. There's no way. It doesn't even make sense. It would be unthinkable where the Levite and the priest, it's super thinkable, right? You're like, obviously, you got a priest and a Levite. They're obviously going to help somebody. But they were too busy doing whatever they thought was, they were doing to help this man. So it would be so unthinkable for him to assist a Jew in this situation. So, so this teaches us that we are to love our neighbor even if we would not normally have a relationship with this type of person. Because honestly, if you think about it, God had no business in caring for you, and he had no business in dealing with me. So here's my four ob- or three observations here. Number one, or A, whatever she put it, the Samaritan saw a man in misery and distress. That's the first step. He literally saw someone in distress. His eyes were open to seeing people around him and those people who were in trouble. Now, here it's talking about physically, right? The guy was beat up. He was bruised. He's laying there. So yes, physically, yes. Seeing people in physical distress, yes, you see those individuals. But this can also relate to spiritual, right? Seeing someone's need who is in a spiritual distressing situation. So the first step in showing mercy would be to actually have your eyes open and peeled to looking for people who are in distress or in misery, whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional. The second one, the Samaritan responded internally. If you look at verse 33, he says, but a Samaritan on his journey came up and when he saw the man, he had compassion. So he saw him, and then he responded internally, and his heart felt compassion. That's good. We should have that. When we see people in distress or in misery, whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional, we should respond by seeing them and then responding internally, and we should have a burden for this individual. Our hearts, our internal uh, response should be, I want to help them. I desire to help them and to love them and to show compassion. And then the third one is, the Samaritan responded externally. It wasn't just an internal, hey, I feel bad. I feel bad for this person. I feel bad. Cool, I'm leaving. No. He responded externally. What did he do? He went up and he bound his wounds. He poured oil and wine on it. He set him on his animal. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. And then he paid for someone else to take care of him while he finished his trip while promising to come back and pay the wage. That's a lot of stuff this guy did. For a stranger who he doesn't know, and in that day it would be unthinkable to even help him. A Samaritan helping a Jew? No, that doesn't, that's not even, that doesn't even make sense. So he saw a man in distress. Are you seeing people that are in distress? Are are your eyes peeled for people who are in misery in their sin? And they literally feel like they can't get out. Or maybe it's an emotional uh, problem at home or or a friend or a coworker at your work that is in such misery emotionally in something and you know you can be of assistance and you know you can help them, you can care for them, you can bandage up their wounds Stop the bleeding and set them on the right path. Are your eyes open to seeing people's needs? 
Are you responding internally? Do you actually feel the burden in the, in the sense of like, oh my gosh, Lord, have mercy on them. Do you actually feel that for people? And last, are you responding externally? Because we learned, first point, mercy is active compassion. Shown again here, this, the Samaritan, it's active. The Levite may, the Levite and the priest may have had passive compassion, which doesn't even make sense. Are you responding externally and helping people, whether it's physically, emotionally, spiritually, helping them to see that, hey, we know, I see that you are in misery and distress in your sin, and I am here, and then you share the good news of Jesus with them to help them. Listen, I know you can get out of this. I know you can. And lastly, this isn't one of the points, but the Samaritan, he didn't allow religion or race or the fact that he was an enemy or anything like that stand between his internal feeling of, oh my gosh, I have got to assist them. The mercy, I have to show mercy on this guy. Look at him. He didn't allow any of that to stand in the way of him responding in his external call. He recognized someone was in need despite the differences that they may have had and still chose to act merciful. And Jesus says to them, go and do this. Go. Do this. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And how do you love your neighbor? By doing this. What is this? Showing mercy and compassion on people in your life whom you normally would not want to show mercy or compassion to. Jesus says, go and do this. Go. Do this. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, the ministry of mercy, then, is the best advertising a church can have. It convinces a community that this church provides people with actions for their problems, not only talk. It shows the community that this church is compassionate. What do you think about that? The best, ministry, or the best advertising a church can have is not putting your church service on a billboard or putting it in the newspaper. It's actively in your community showing people, not faking it, showing people truly that, hey, I love you. I care for you. I see that you're struggling. I see that you're in distress. I want to help you in that. I want to assist you in that. It convinces a community that this church, that Hebron Baptist Church, we can convince our community authentically that we, Hebron Baptist Church, we provide people with actions for their problems. We're not only going to talk about it, we're not only going to tell them, we're going to actually bandage up their wounds, we're going to pour, pour oil and wine on it, we're going to put them to an end, we're going to pay the wages, and we're going to set them back on the right track in the gospel. That's what we're going to do. That's the church that we want to be. We want to be that church that people know, we have a problem, we know we can go there. Because they're not only going to tell me about it, they're going to love me through it, and they're going to assist me and help me in anything I need. That's the church that we want to be. Last point, number four. Merciful people will be shown mercy 
at the judgment. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. James 2, 12 and 13 says, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This warning reinforces the command of verse 12 that the person who has shown no mercy, if you show no mercy, you cannot expect to receive mercy at the judgment. For the judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. And that's what verse 7 says. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So the exact opposite of that would be, if you don't show mercy, how's God going to show you mercy? Because in your salvation, he's already shown you mercy, and you didn't deserve it, and I definitely didn't deserve it. But yet, he did. There will be a merciless judgment on people who do not accept the truth, the sacrifice of Christ, the good news of Jesus. If you go out these doors and you sin your life away and never acknowledge Jesus as Lord, God offers no promises to be merciful to you or to accept you. You will have judgment without mercy. I know that just sounds so harsh, but it's just what the Bible says. I'm not standing here on my own accord. Praise the Lord. Those who have experienced God's mercy will show it to others and so demonstrate their destiny as those who will yet receive mercy on the last day. So my question is, are you living a life that is full of mercy and compassion towards sinners whom you are one of? Am I merciful or condescending to the wrongdoer, to the wretched? Am I gentle or am I hard-nosed toward the broken? Am I helpful or am I cold-hearted toward the backslidden, toward the Christian who is struggling so bad right now they don't even know if they're actually a believer anymore? Am I compassionate or am I impatient with the fallen, with the people who don't know Christ? Am I thinking about my neighbors and coworkers who are miserable in their sin and how I can be of assistance to them? When we recognize our sins, that we have received mercy, we no longer ask these questions. Once you're in Christ and you receive mercy, you'll never ask these questions, or you shouldn't. You're not going to say, what's wrong with them? How do they put themselves in this situation? That's so silly. Why would they do that? Because they're in misery. They're in distress in their sin, and they don't know how to get out. When we see a friend in trouble, we're not, we should be asking, hey, how can I help? Now, how did you get there? Are you kidding me? The first four Beatitudes that Pastor Sean hit the last four weeks express in one way or another our dependence on God. Poor in spirit, meek, etc. The next three, and this is the first of the three, are uh, the outworking of that dependence. And this Beatitude is pretty simple. If you, if you look at the verse... Those who show mercy will be shown mercy. But this is for people whose natural bent now that you're a believer is actually shown, is to show mercy. Not those people who do one merciful thing a year. Such people will 
receive mercy. And it's just like several other Jesus commands, forgive others and you will be forgiven, right? Or whoever acknowledges me before others, I, Jesus, will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. Same is true of mercy. Those who live a merciful life will receive mercy and will be shown mercy at the judgment. I know living a life is not easy. Living a merciful life is not easy. I have kids. I know. Uh, it's difficult. My prayer for you this morning, if you are a Christian, to really think deeply upon what am I bent towards? Am I, is my bent now towards showing people mercy, towards showing sinners mercy to the people who are emotionally, physically, spiritually distressed? Am I naturally showing them mercy and love? Or is my natural bent right now to be hard-nosed and cold-hearted? And I would say, if right now, if you're the latter, if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God living and dwelling inside of you, and therefore, you can change that. Through the Spirit's help, you can change that. And if you're not a Christian, and you are miserable and broken in your sin, and you are in absolute distress in your sin, I understand. I was once there. And so are many people in this room. But as we sang in the song, as we sang in the song Mercy Tree, that God has shown you a sinner mercy. By coming and dying on a cross for your sins so that you can live. So that you can receive the mercy and the grace of God. And that on the judgment day, you will be shown mercy. Because what you're going to do is not point and say, look what I did in my 80 or 90 years of life. It's going to say, hey, look what Jesus did in the man who I trusted. And I put everything on. When we pray... Here in a second, I would hope that if you are a Christian and you need to uh, think about forgiving someone else because you were not merciful towards them and you were super hard-nosed towards them, I would pray, hey, come to the altar and pray about that or pray it in your seats. And if you're not a Christian and you do not know Christ, I would challenge you, hey, come to know Christ. He is the mercy tree. He is here today and he can show you mercy and is willing and able to do so. So let, let's pray, and we will move into a time of response where uh, you can come forward and pray. You can talk to me regarding uh, salvation, or if you are in need of a church family, you can come forward and talk to us about that as well. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this day. God, you are wonderful. You are rich in mercy. You are rich in grace. It is so undeserved. Thank you, Lord, for actively coming from heaven to earth to show us mercy. So, Lord, that we can come to you now, not on our own accord, but because of what Christ has done for us. So, God, we thank you and we love you. In Christ's name, amen.